The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello to the dopest of all the villages. You're listening to Laughter Permitted. So are donuts, by the way. But I'm desperately trying to slow that roll. I'm Julie Foudy. This is Lynn Zowie. Hi, Lynn. Hey, Jules. Our conversation today is one that I've been wanting to have for a very long time. And I think it's an incredibly important one to share as well because it is enlightening in so many ways. Our guest is WNBA All-Star Lasia Clarendon, who is the first openly non-binary and transgender player in the WNBA. Lasia also uses she, he, they pronouns interchangeably. As a veteran of the WNBA, Lasia currently plays for the Minnesota Lynx. They've been an outspoken leader in the league for many years, elevating LGBTQ plus and social justice issues in all he does. And in this episode, we talk about their experience during the 2020 wobble season, particularly as it relates to activism and even the source of that activism for Lasia, which may surprise you because it certainly did for me. The freedom that comes with being open about her gender fluidity and the importance for Lasia and his wife, Jessica, in raising their child in gender expansiveness. In 2021, Lasia announced she had top surgery, becoming the first active WNBA player to do so. And a production note, we recorded this interview after Leah Thomas, the UPenn swimmer, competed in the Ivy League championships, but before she became the first trans woman to win an NCAA swimming title at the National Swimming Championships. Leah's success in the pool this year has created many national headlines, and we spoke with Leisha about their perspective on Leah and trans athletes in sports. This interview opened our hearts and our minds, and we hope it does the same for you. So get comfortable listening. It's Lasia Clarendon. Hey there, Dope Village. As y'all know, Ally has backed Laughter Permitted since day one of our podcast as our financial ally. And honestly, Lynn, I might just tattoo Ally on my forehead. And Ally is currently on a mission to change the game for women sports. And get this, along with being sponsors of the National Women's Soccer League, Atlantic Coast Conference, United States Golf Association, and the Las Vegas Aces, Ally has committed to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And you, my friends, can be part of the change by... Watching your favorite athletes crush it on TV by going to women's sporting events in person by, I don't know, maybe listening to every single episode of this amazing podcast on trailblazing women. Because every time you show up for women's sports, you are helping move the game forward. You can learn more about Ally by visiting ally.com. Hey there, Dope Village. Lynn and I have been involved in women's sports our entire lives. And truly, we've never been more excited for what's to come in this women's sports space. And one big reason, Ally. Ally has made a commitment to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And that means more money going to women's sports and more visibility for what these incredible athletes are accomplishing. 
Ally is on a mission to change the game for women's sports. So here at Laughter Permitted, we're going to keep telling the stories of trailblazing women. And every time you listen in, you are part of that change. To learn more about Ally, go to ally.com. Kick back, relax, and unwind. Let's have a good time finding the joy in life. We're smiling so bright, talking and laughing combined. Feeling all right, get comfortable listening. It's laughter permitted. Leisure! Hi! What up, what up? Yo, what's up? Let's do this. What did you do with your trainer this morning? Oh, a little bit of everything, like rehab and lifting. And then I jogged. I'm coming up with stress fracture. So I jogged a little bit for the first time today, which is great. And then, yeah, it was amazing. It's like the only time you're like so happy to run. You're just like, oh my God, this is fun. <laughs> How and long have you had to stay off it? Stress fractures are tricky. Oh, it's been, I was in the boot for like almost four months. It was like three and a half. It lingered oh counting the end gosh. of the season. It was terrible. So I just got out of it like last Wednesday, the Wednesday before that. So this will be two weeks this week. So it's been like, were you like freedom? Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. How fast till you can actually be playing? playing um they think about start of the season this was kind of really the Good. timeline yeah just taking it like slow and maybe be on minute restrictions depending on how it goes the camp starts april 17th so got like time for that stuff so it's the getting in shape and all that and i've been lifting the whole time so i was doing the rehab you know as much as yeah. you can but it's all of that like right. now you gotta actually run up and down and yeah yeah that was the first one i ever had i was just like well i'm getting old so here it is <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say it gets better, but I don't think it does. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, it doesn't. You lose your <laughs> eyes at 40. You can't get out of bed at 50. <laughs> no. Yeah, was, the miles. The miles are. I was mm. snowboarding a couple weekends ago with my kids, and I, and I thought to myself, what the hell at 51 am I doing doing this? Because I couldn't walk for like three days after. <laughs> That's amazing. Everything was sore. Oh, yeah. Laisha, it just gets harder. That's good to know. All right, Laisha, as we always do on the podcast, we have our guests set the scene, where you are, what you're doing, how you doing, all those things. Laisha, set the scene. All right. I am in Minnesota, in the Midwest. Minnesota. I know my wife keeps making fun of me. She says Minnesota. I'm doing the like the <laughs> accent now. No, it's, that's okay. Minnesotans are great. I like them. So I have an accent now, apparently. <laughs> I'm in Minnesota. <laughs> um, just doing some training, working out. I'm in my apartment. It was like 35 degrees today. So that's like warm here. Woo! I feel good. I just wore a hoodie. Um, experiencing, 35. You know, oh, God. This California I was like, kids. Yeah. <laughs> struggling. So yeah, I'm here. Uh, not with my babe, so that's partly why this works because I got some free time. <laughs> the pluses and minuses, right? Yes, exactly. Minnesota seems like a great fit for you, and I I know when you came to Minnesota, it's such a great fit that when you came to Minnesota with the Lynx, they were zero and four, and then quickly they after you started playing with them, they turned to sixteen and five uh, for one damn reason. That's right. 
Um, so let's go back, if you would, to when you were waived by the New York Liberty early in the 2021 season. You foreshadow the awesomeness that lay ahead with that Instagram post, which I absolutely loved. You said um, you were basically thanking everyone for reaching out. And you're saying, I'm still pretty shocked and heartbroken by this moment. But don't worry, people. But no, but don't worry. People have tried to bury me before, but they just kept forgetting. I'm a seed. I'll be back. Yeah. They sure did. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I've overcome a lot in my life. And um, I've alluded to, there's more to the New York story that will come out one day and I will be excited. And I hope a lot of people are held accountable. But mm. I, it was just more about my personal experience and um, just knowing like the kind of, you get knocked down, but like you forget, people forget. And they don't know that like, you try and bury a seed in the ground and you try and like put me under and like literally, you know, I get cut, I get waved and I lose my job. But that was just burying me in the ground. So then like I pop back up in Minnesota and just sprout. And um, I'm always, and I have people in my life that are always helping nourish me. And I think that's yeah. a key part oh. of the seed too, right? Yeah. So you get buried, Water, but like it takes- Watering the garden. Soil and it takes nutrients, it takes water, it takes sunlight. Like yeah. I, I have that in my life and I'm really grateful for it. And so I think then you kind of see these sprouts that will just continue to come up because- you know, like good seeds, you need all those good things for, for fruit to bear, for plants to bear, for life to happen. Yeah. yeah. Who are the people in your life who nourish you? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it's definitely my wife, you know, first and foremost. Yeah, Jess. Um, yeah, Jessica. And then um, our baby has been such a joy. They were born at the end of 2020 and the madness of this year. And they've been such a light and just um, they keep you so present in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it's such a good reminder. And then I have like Pastor Mike is my pastor at the Way um, Christian Center, who I love. My best friend Talia, who I played with in college, my other best friend Michaela. Then two of my really close trans friends that um, I've been through a lot with and have like helped me really close. So I think those are. If I miss anybody, just text me. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and with Minnesota, there was alignment with that team's history of activism. Did that seem serendipitous to you? It did. Yeah, it was, it was, it felt like the stars aligned in so many ways, which was um, wild. It felt the weirdest, most comforting thing was it felt like I was coming home and I have like absolutely no ties to Minnesota. Like I don't have family here. I don't, I didn't know anyone previously in Minnesota. So there's no thing where it was just like, Oh, it makes sense. But it, I, it feels like it makes sense. Like in my deepest, mm -hmm um heart of hearts and in my soul like and I have always connected with the fans here I've always loved me like I didn't realize it was such a like place with so many trans people I knew there were a lot of like queer fans but I've actually really found there's quite a few trans fans and trans folks here too which has been really comforting but I had this overall sense and I think it's just like for me I believe it's just God aligning like where you're meant to be at the time in your life and so it just felt like a homecoming and it felt like a a salve to the soul and like the leadership that Cheryl provides, the, you know, leadership of Sylvia and just how much the whole team and the whole organization just really like wrapped me up at a time that was really difficult in my life too. It wasn't like I just got a job again, like, okay, who I'm back in the league. I get to play on a roster and then, you know, whatever drama on whatever team you might be in that has its, has its own issues. It was like this just warm embrace that I really needed on top of just being able to play basketball. It was the people there that really just like they kind of nourished me again, right? I feel like the, 
the back to the seed. I was buried and, you know, there might've been a bad storm and I'm ruffled. Um, but they kind of, I feel like just came and like put the little covering over, you know, winter's, winter is <laughs> here that kind of put me back in there and just, just provided so much love and support and just, it felt amazing to do it alongside these people here. Oh, wow. that's what everyone's searching for, right? Yeah. Yeah. To find that. Um, it, when, when it comes to the activism and, and that was clearly on full display as we saw with, with the wobble during the pandemic, you personally, Laisha, leading that charge. I know you were a huge influence in uh, social justice being, you know, th- th- what you wanted to be talking about and, uh, and really linked into the wobble, the say her name campaign. When you reflect on that experience and all that you, you did as a group and what you were able mm-hmm. to accomplish, what are you, I imagine it's hard to point to one thing, but what are you most proud of? Ooh. I mean, one that we survived, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> right? It was hard. I think that's like, the, laughter is permitted, so I get to laugh at my questions. <laughs> I love it. It was hard. It was hard. I think we made it out and we did so many things. Like it was, uh, you know, Holly Rowe made a shirt that says, I wish I had at this moment. I survived the wobble. Probably maybe saw it online afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but she said yeah. she gave it to people. It's like a like a it's a piece of history that like yeah. I hold on to very dearly. Um, that really, was that survived. was for real. That wasn't a joke. No, we were like you. If you know, you know. Like if you were there, yeah. it was something. So I think that we came out of that experience. Um, particularly, I think one of the we did all the social justice work, so I could I could point to all those things. But I think that it was. One of the things I'm most proud of was how successful it was in terms of the W coming together. One, how we organized, of course, but two, like in terms of not having positive tests and people like really, you know, it sounds weird following the rules for each other, like really committing to being in this bubble because it was like, it, it matters for our league to play this year. And it matters for us to come together and to like be in this community together. I think that's one of the things that kind of hasn't gotten talked about, like how successful it was for us as the W to go do that. And it was, it, it worked out. We survived. And how you're in, in a sense, you're looking out for each other by following the rules, right? That's yeah. you're taking care of each other yeah. at the same time I, I, with how much work goes into that though. How difficult was it to recover from that? My hands are like sweating. As soon as you said the bubble, I was like, Oh God. <laughs> PTSD. Because Neck and I talk about that. Like we're like, it was just, I don't know how to describe it. Like it, it's, you know, we're all li- we were all living and still are, but particularly then there were no vaccines too. So we were living in such a like something that humans are not supposed to experience, like a global pandemic with the amount of anxiety and stress and like weight of what all of that meant every day. So it's it it weighs heavy, and I think no one could have known it's one of those things you didn't know what it would be like until you experienced it right like we were all you know not all everybody you saw the documentary was like proud to go there and excited but like we were there we played it was successful we survived but then like the after effects of it I think were what were really difficult to like predict honestly and just the the drain it took like the isolation for one like we're not we're not meant to live like that as human beings like the weight that that takes and the toll on your mental health was really difficult. 
Um, and obviously we played every other day. So that was really tough. And then we have the, you know, racial uprisings. We have all the work that we fought for, but whenever everyone celebrates the work, which was like phenomenal, but I always want to remind people of like the point, the reason the work had to happen was because like, we have so many social injustices, right? Mm -hmm. We fight social justice, but like, it was because like people were being murdered and people continue to be murdered. So like, here we are playing basketball, which is what we mainly get paid to do. And like, we care and we obviously identify with these people, Verona Taylor, especially who are getting murdered. So like, we're doing everything we can, scrapping and clawing, trying to fight and raise awareness and do something for these people to get justice. But like, like that's heavy. That's, you know, like that is not just something you do every day or something that can sustain in the way we did it. Like it was a sprint. Mm -hmm. And I think when we got out of the, it must feel never ending as well. Yeah. We got out of the bubble. And I think the hardest thing for me was like, we're, it's a sprint, right. And you get out and then everyone's like, so what's next? Like you run another Mm -hmm. sprint. Are you running another 400? Like, no, I'm like, (laughs) I'm a recovery. This is time to like, you know, it's like, if you're training for an Olympic cycle, like give me, give me six months to take a break here to like, you know, regroup. And that's been the hardest part for me. I really feel like I just in the last, few months have started to like really recover from the whirlwind of what the bubble was and even being vaccinated and then playing another season where you don't really you know now we're vaccinated but there's still a lot of turmoil with how you know to play in the middle of a pandemic where you play like a contact sport and travel all over the place it's like it's not a work from home job the other interesting thing is with that activism and how you do it so naturally it felt like you're such a good leader and that Mm -hmm. And which to your point is so is is hard. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of organizing and calls and zooms and educating yourself on issues, I imagine, and talking to various people. Um I I read Katie Barnes's cover story, which was fantastic on you. And for literally ESPN. Yeah, for ESPN so the cover Everyone story. should read it. And literally It's very long. It's really good. Oh, it has so to be that good. long. It's so, yeah, it's like, get, <laughs> she, they really lay it, lay it out. <laughs> but the line that, that leapt out at me, I literally holy shit it out loud. I was like, oh, holy shit, was this line. I'm going to read it to you real quick because I had a very different upbringing with this. To me, being Christian means effing shit up. That's what <laughs> Jesus came to do. It means disrupting and fighting for the most marginalized people. And you go on to talk about how religion actually spurred much of your activism, mm-hmm. which I have a very different perspective on religion in my life. I do not equate it with activism, honestly. So that that blew my mind. Yeah. Which t- tell me the background on that. I I'm like, where do I start? I mean, my come to Jesus moment, my, um, (laughs) literally my, I was raised in a like kind of Christian household. Like my mom is black and it's kind of like every black person, you know, most part goes to church at some point, but like, we weren't really raised believing in a lot of Christianity. It was just kind of used in a negative way about like, don't be gay essentially. (laughs) And it was when I went to college that I really um found like my own faith like you leave for home it's a lot of times where people are like okay is this my thing or not but it was really I really experienced what it was like to like go to church on my own accord like I like voluntarily went on Sunday when I could go when we weren't playing games and I went with my best friend Talia 
And there as an adult, it was like a 19 year old is where I learned like so much of that background. So my, my church, the Way Christian Center, um, ran by Pastor Michael McBride, he does like a lot of social justice work. And our church is very rooted in, he went to um, Duke Seminary School and a lot of the, the theology he learned is just very like the cross section of justice and Christianity. So I've always learned about the Bible that way as an adult. Like as a kid, I had, I had the hate fear mongering, but luckily we didn't go too often. And I could kind of like, I could either stay home and help my dad clean the garage or like go with my mom. So I was always vacillating between the, the two choices. <laughs> so I like got out of church sometimes. And um, it, was but the, when, it, it was the donuts for me. It was either you can go have a donut after church. Okay, I'll go. Yeah. It was, you have to go to church and wear a dress and sit there the whole time. Like I'll clean up, you know, for hours. So yeah, when I was at Berkeley, which is funny because like the, you know, all the stereotypes about Berkeley too, being the place that's where I like found God and my relationship with God and this church and these people who like taught me, like, this is the main mission. And so I was like, this is dope. Like, and I experienced all this love and joy and like community. And specifically I was a part of like a small group. They kind of, you know, breakout groups from your main church where you kind of go at once a week. And that group specifically was even more focused on social justice and like young people. So it was kind of like a 25 and to about people who are like 28 to 20 years old, 1920 were in that group. And we talked even more in depth about like the tenets of who Jesus was. And I was like, so why is everyone saying he would be doing this and that where I'm like, Jesus would have been my best friend. Like I'm queer. Like, like people have it twisted, you know? So it's kind of that, like, who's even reading the same Bible. You have that kind of, yeah, that's what I always said growing up. I'm like, this is not the Jesus. I think he would not like what you're doing. No. And so it's always been rooted. My, my faith has always been rooted in social justice where I was like, y'all are tripping, but like, <laughs> okay. And you know, the sad part I think about that is it's the people who are the loudest and have the microphone, right. Or the fundamentalists and the people screaming and protesting, or it's like, I've tried to very much live out like, and I've never wanted to be the person who was like the finger pointer or the yelling right. The, the person who was like, you're just yelling back at them. Like on the opposite corner, like Jesus, what have been my best friend? Plus queer people, trans people, black people. Um, but that article was one of the first ways that I feel like it was really laid out more about kind of where my roots are and how important they are to me. So I, I loved how Katie um, just handled it so beautifully. Uh, I, you said somewhere else, I don't know where it was, but Jesus didn't just die for the straight people. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been talking about it for a while. Oh, hell yeah. that's what I asked my parents I mean I think I've always had some level of critical thinking like when they would say that stuff I'm like so okay even if we are framing it the way you're framing it like what did I miss here like who who gets how did we start cherry picking who gets you know salvation or who gets to the benefits of all these great things that you talk about with this God that you want everyone to be a part of and you're like I wouldn't want to be a part of that like it's terrible Mm-mm. I know that's why I was so excited when I heard that. I'm like, wow, I got to find that religion. That's, that's not what it's awesome. I, I actually um, interned at my church my, I think it was my second year out of the league because I, I stopped playing overseas pretty early. I only went one season. So I've always come back and I did an internship. I've always been really interested in like, I don't know that I would want to run a church necessarily, but I've been yeah. like faith and justice are really intricate for me like I really care about them and specifically with queer people who you know I've had experiences where you just get 
family uses that, you know, to persecute you and to kick you out of church or religion. And so it's always been close to my heart that I, I don't know what it'll look like in the future. Um, and then I actually ran our, an LGBT Bible study, like the first one our church had, I ended up leading that the Uh year I interned. And it was like other queer people, you know, in the church that were like, that could see themselves, right? Because the Bible has a lot of, it's got some jacked up stuff in there, right? It's got some stuff that you got to like, parse through, you got to understand context, you understand like, you know, how it was translated, things like you just look at face value. It's like, that's why non-Christians is like, y'all are crazy. Like the book says like stone people and, you know, don't eat pork and all these things, right? right? But you have to like, you have to, you have to parse through to like really get the meaning of it. It's just, it's important for people to see themselves and know. And that's what we did with the Bible study group was to say like, you know, we are reflected. And even the fact that we could gather there together and look around and see ourselves reflected yeah. as queer people. And I think now I realize trans people, how important, how special and how sacred of a space that was to say like, look, we, we all are actually like gay and Christian and like, it's okay. Like, and that's okay. Like we're here, you know, and that's that, like, that was a salve yeah. for the soul to, to experience that too. And that's okay. <laughs> uh, back in December of 2020, you became the first openly non-binary and transgender player in WNBA history and you posted this on Instagram telling people there is indeed no one way to be trans I knew my gender to not align with the sex I was assigned at birth but I didn't know exactly where I fit or how to describe the feelings I was having gender is largely a spectrum the more you embrace all of your gender the more free you become existing outside of the binary for me is freedom Take us back to that moment, Leish, and how that's changed your life and your family's life. I'm like, wow, I write some good captions. That's nice. <laughs> that's good There's shit more. right we could, there. We could just go through that your was, Instagram and, and that was read parsed it off. down too. That's good shit. <laughs> um, it's what it's that last line. I think like living outside the binary is freedom. And it's really difficult to do because like the binary is everywhere. There's not, you know, there are more examples now, thankfully. That's what I alluded to. Like I knew, I think back in 2015 that I wrote, like I wasn't cis in a player's tribune article, but I was just like, I'm not cis, but I don't know what I am. And like, I don't see where I fit because I wasn't, it was so um, binary. Like you're either trans man or trans woman. So I was like, I know I'm not a trans man, but like, I know I'm not cis. So like, I'm gonna just put that out there like, I thought I was just gender non-conforming. So I didn't know where I fit. And um, more, I think of the representation and language becoming normalized and having uh, more examples. My best friend is actually one who kind of showed me that non-binary, like is literally possible in someone's body and how they move and they can just be in this fluidity. Um, And it's just freed our family in so many ways. It's freed me. And I think one of the tail signs of freedom is like the ripple effect that it has. Like freedom is really contagious. Like it it frees other people around you. And in that way, a good example is, you know, I mean, the way my wife like kind of shows up and, you know, talks about her own gender addressing those kind of things, but we decided to gender expansive parent our child. And that is why we, I use they, them with them. And we made this decision to um, not assign them a gender based on the sex they were born, because we know now gender identity is something you identify for yourself as a person. So like to have a child and then say like, well, here's your genitals. I'm going to throw an attachment on those. Like kind of like, this doesn't make sense to us the way like we're kind of living in this new freedom and understanding um, like my own identity. 
And just to see the ripple effect that that has had even on our family in questioning other, um, you know, nieces and nephews we have that have had more conversations and more like my uh, mother-in-law is like, man, the freaking binary is everywhere. Like I went to Target yeah. and it's this aisle and that aisle. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like, you know, it's kind of an awakening for people who yeah. could just move through the world. I have two nephews on my, um, on Jess's side and they both are like cis boys and that's how they identify. And it's like their, their parents did a really good job of like, you know, saying boys can use a shopping cart or they can paint their nails. Like they, they've always kind of given them that freedom, but I think it even took it a level further for people to start questioning why the binary exists the way it does and why the aisles are separated. Right. And why this, it's like, you can see the wheels start to spin and turn. And I think that's been one of the coolest things is the way the freedom has ripple affected through our lives and through people asking more questions. Cause that's how I think you get is that, that awareness and education within yourself first, because mm-hmm. then you can start to disrupt it in your own thinking is where it, yeah. it has to start for change to really happen. Um, so it's been really just a journey to watch my wife and I are like, we have to write a book or a podcast on like this experience because it's fascinating. Like every day is a social experiment with our, with our child and gender. Yeah. Give, give examples. Cause I bet it happens like every hour Yeah, with, it, with just exchanges <sighs> and conversation. Right. Yeah. Oh, so one, when Jess was pregnant, that was like the amount of strangers and people. And it's that thing we do. I don't know if other countries, America does it. It's like, yeah. The how are you? And we're not really asking how you are, right? It's like, what if I was like, I'm terrible. I've had a horrible day. Like, are you going to console me as a stranger? It's that like nicety that people do of like, oh, cool. How far along are you? Oh, is it a boy or a girl? And we're like, we're not finding out or we don't know, you know, our answer. But now that like our child is here, it's literally like, depending on what we dress them in and the way people read them is fascinating. So if, we were, if they're like in purple, they get so many she's. If they're in gray, they mostly get he's. If they're in black, absolutely he all the time. And our child has like long curly hair. So if like that throws a little twist in there where people are like, oh, she's beautiful because they're long hair. And an example is this guy, we're uh, getting out of the car to go get food. We had our child with us. He's coming across the street. I think he had just left the restaurant with his food. And um, men oftentimes in our experience, like are less, you know, goo goo over the baby. And he was like, oh my God, kind of stopped. And we're like, oh, hey. And he's like, I have a one month old at home. And we're like, oh my God, are you okay? Like, whoo, like yeah. I'm glad you're picking up food. He's like, yeah, my wife's at home. Um, and he's like, oh, oh, this baby's cute. What's their name? Or, you know, or no, didn't ask their name said, oh, is it a boy or a girl? And we said, their name is blank. And then he goes, oh, right. Okay. But like, what, what are they, what were they like born with or at, or as we're like, we don't tell people (laughs) like, like, I want to be like, none of your business. Like what is like, what my baby's genitals are is essentially what you are asking when you ask that question. Right. Because you want to know, like, do they have a penis or vagina? So then I can label them with a gender identity. So then I can interact with them a certain way. And at the end of the day, this dude, literally what he was trying to get to was to say, well, your child's very beautiful. (laughs) I'm like, you could just say that right either way you didn't have to know but based on if someone labels our child as a girl you can hear the language they use like oh she's so beautiful and pretty or if it's a boy it's like oh hey man like what up bud yeah Yeah. what up buddy and it's like that and i don't even blame the guy i think this is the point of like systemically why a man walking down the street doesn't feel like he can interact with a child if he doesn't know 
how to pro- how to put them in this box because then he knows how to treat them. What would you like to see then going forward? Oh, so much. <laughs> Give me control of everything. We're, we're going to need wine for this, I feel like. Let's go. It's three o'clock almost. <laughs> One, I would like to see um, more parents gender expansive, um, more parents gender expansive, raise their kids in a gender expansive way. And I think uh, one of the ways that could happen is like, we have to normalize it, right? And have to like have more of these conversations. But I think hospitals are really interesting and fascinating. Mm-hmm. And even um, our child was born in the Bay Area. So like even in this area that's supposed to be like, you know, one of the most, most progressive, I was really surprised by how um, behind the medical field, I guess, is. And right, there might be some things to like assign male, female, checking out different things that like are, are necessary to the medical establishment, but like we, I would love to see when a child is born, like one, you, there's an option to put either, um, I don't know if it's like non-binary or like not even assign them a sex at birth because this becomes a barrier later for trans people, right? They have to change their gender marker. So if a child was born F, they have to change it to M if that's how they identify, like that becomes one of the things. So I think from birth, you're on this, um, like, What's that thing I'm doing? It's like a a conveyor belt. Yep, a track, a conveyor belt from the day you're born of like you get put into like, okay, F on their birth certificate. Okay, we give you a pink card. Okay, everyone in your family buys you the pinks, the purples, the headbands, the things, or you're over here, you get the blues. Boys are looking at some red, you know, yellow is like risque for a boy, you know, like the way we, we do that. So I think hospitals are actually like medical fields are a big place that when you birth a baby you see how much they put you in the hmm. even the bonnet it's like you get a blue one yeah a- that's actually what I was just thinking like when I am trying you know when you get a picture of a newborn from a friend and you're not sure what they've had we're programmed I look at the bonnet and why do I care like do I need to care that it's a pink bonnet or a blue bonnet but it yeah. like matters I'm like crap what well, I don't know what is what is Linux is Linux a, a boy a girl it, yeah. it's so weird that you're programmed that way yeah. From and then getting, day one. Trying to get more comfortable with like the unknown. So that was the cool yeah. social experiment that came out of it was like when we didn't tell certain friends and families, like specifically one of my trans friends, like um, our baby was born. And then we just like sent them pictures of the baby. We talked about them and it was just like so much like joy and beauty and magic without the weight of like even like, what does it mean if they're a boy or a girl and all the stories of moving through the world, right? If they're a boy, oh my God, I hope they're not a toxic patriarchal asshole. If they're a girl, like, <laughs> I hope they never get hurt or assaulted or all the things, like, I hope they can yeah. dream and do like all those stories, right? That even that we put on babies, like yep. day old infants, mm. it was so freeing to just talk to my friend and just be like, and they, we kind of had this back and forth dialogue just about like, as you trans people who live outside of that, how healing it was for us to experience our child without the weight of gender. And that weight get put, gets put on really early. So I would love to see if more parents like took this on. My wife and I are waiting for like our first friend or couple to be like, we're gender expansive parenting too, because we saw what you did. And like, the first couple that is cis and does it specifically too, right? The couple that does it, that it's not because like one of the parents is trans or because like they do it because they realize breaking down the gender binary is a part of their work too. And this is actually a really amazing way just to really ripple effect because in every interaction, people are like, oh, they, them, like your babies, they, them. And you're like, yeah, until they, you know, tell us what their gender identity is. Like, I don't know what it is. 
That is amazing. I, I know you have a lot on your plate, but I'm going to add more shit to it. Write that book, please. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Leish. You and Jess write that book, okay? Okay, we'll get on it in our free time. <laughs> Uh, how do you how which is which is like my biggest question in all this conversation is how do you get a very binary world to a non-binary mindset? Oh God, how do you? Yeah, I mean it starts with that with gender expansiveness. We might need Jesus to come back and all up. It's really we might need to like just. <laughs> blow it all up to start over <laughs> uh, man i think the gender expansive parenting is one way to do it for sure um whew, that's a heavy question i think it's a lot of the allyship too it's when like cis people fight just as hard um for the binary to be broken down too because like it's similar with racism like racism affects white people right like it doesn't only affect people of color like that same way like the gender binary affects the reason why men feel like they can't cry or women have to say like i could do this because i'm a woman or i have to dress a certain way in the office like all of the little insidious things that um the gender binary does but i don't have an answer for it. it's so pervasive that i think it's going to take a lot a lot of chipping away I think you need it to happen in a lot of different facets, right? Across the board, parenting or fashion, sports is like Adidas, for example, I'm an Adidas athlete. They, on their website, they have a lot of the clothing modeled by both like people who are men and women, but it's like this unisex clothing. So you don't mm. necessarily always, they still have a men and a women section, which I hope one day it just becomes like shape or size or, you know, style you want to wear. But within it, it's like, it's unisex. You can wear, it's meant, and it just tells you how to size it. And it's like one of those little things where I don't have to be like, okay, if I'm a dude, I have to look in this style. If I'm a woman, I have to look over there. Like my wife, we go in Banana Republic. I love that store. She's still even dating a trans person and married a trans person and having a baby with a trans person. She still only goes to the women's side. I have to be like, hey, which, cause she likes the men's stuff better. It has a better cut, right? And so like, she's like on the women's side, I'm with her, then I walk away and I'm like, is this what you're looking for? She's like, oh my God, yeah. And I'm like, the whole other side of the store that you too can shop in, it's your store too, right? <laughs> it's like things like that, that even is like, why do we still have a men and a women's side? And like, there's yeah. something to cut or body shape, right? But like a lot of women I know yeah. are like, I actually prefer the men's clothing because like it fits better, especially athletes like are longer. It's less like bedazzled, all these weird, they think women want to wear like these snake skin, some, something, everything's yeah. pink, neon colored things. So I think it's like, it, it's so insidious that it has to be in multiple facets to really make, I think, a large headway and change. It seems awareness is a huge part of it. You're bringing up things that I haven't necessarily thought of and it's all over society mm -hmm. it's everywhere it's pervasive it's it's a target in the books and the i mean it's why like pencils i'm like i don't know why this is a gendered pencil like how do pencils get gendered like when did that happen you know like little things that shouldn't right shouldn't be and i think it just if you walk in a store and look at it it just shows you how insidious it is and particularly from a child being born from birth and like, there's a really cool clothing company called Primary. 
And their whole premise is that clothes don't have genders. So they have, and they have every primary color. So it's just like kids can have every color of the rainbow and you shop by category. So you shop by like pants, leggings, shirts, long sleeve shirts, dresses, socks. And you see like all kind of kids wearing these. And I think like fashion could go that way. It's more about cut, right? Cause we say women's cut, men's cut, right? Like some men want to wear a flare cut. Some, my wife doesn't want to wear a flare cut. Like she likes that cut, you know, those kind of ways too. I think that it could really break down. And like that site is so cool. And it's just fun to go on there because when you do like even a certain style, it's like, we'll shop in both sections at target for our child. Then we go in the, the girl section. It's like, that shirt is ugly. Like it was cute till they put the the ruffle thing on it like they were cute till they put the or go in the boys section it's like it was cute until they put the like daddy's helper the truck on it or the thing that just made it cheesy yeah. because like we have to gender it. it's just like it's interesting why can't my kid just have like a cool blue shirt and like yeah. a cool I remember shirt? that with my kids just struggling like damn do I have to buy everything princessy if it's a girl like come on yeah offer more things it does feel like we are seeing more people find their true self later in life though maybe because um it's it's obviously happening later in life because they didn't have the opportunity to discover it with gender expansiveness earlier um and i feel like we're watching it play out in sports right now in women's sports Mm -hmm. and i'm sure leish you've been following Leah Thomas, the and just to give a little context to our listeners, that she is a transgender woman who transitioned in 2019 after swimming for three seasons, actually, on the men's team at the mm-hmm. University of Pennsylvania. And she's now swimming on the women's team and did two years of testosterone blockers and estrogen and was approved to swim, of course, meet the the regulations required for that. Mm-hmm. She swam recently in the Ivy League Swimming Championships mm-hmm. and became the only swimmer to win three individual events. And she also set of six of the 10 meet records there. As a trans non-binary athlete, what's not being discussed in all of this? Because I know it's been headlines and news and very, very Ooh. polarizing. What's not being discussed? what's not being discussed in all of this rhetoric I think one the harm that it does for athletes to go through this in a public stage I don't think is really I think it's all the celebrating and the like the the folks I know a lot of um, NCAA athletes signed to help Leah swim like uh, put out a public um, statement because the the NCAA was making I think a, a different rule change um, so all the fighting and the good things of people like standing up and pushing back, but I don't think the individ- the harm that it does to the individual when they have to like jump through so many barriers and loops. And I know I felt that a lot with my story too, of just like, it's a lot to be like the one of something and it's a lot to be on the, you almost kind of get put on an island even when you have support because you just get propped up as like this thing, right? Now Leah Thompson represents this fight. Mm-hmm. And that fight's like heavy. We're talking about like trans bills and the courts and Christians and fundamentalism and like our country and policy and like people's bodies and um, all while you're like in college sports. So I think that is a really big narrative that we should be mindful of and careful and like how we're asking questions and how we're even storytelling because it's hard. You want to do the journalism and you want to like report on it and share that. But I I, I worry about her and the other athletes because like, I know what it's like and how difficult it is. Um, 
it's it's a heavy like gift and burden to carry. Yeah, it it seems you get so locked in on covering, you know, the nanomoles of testosterone and the science mm-hmm. of it because it is there's a lot of layers to this that you lose the humanity of it all and what's yeah. happening to Leah and other trans athletes going through it. What about those athletes, which seems to be the sticking point, and, and you see even the the biggest female sports a- advocates like a Nancy Hogshead maker and Donna Deverona and Donna Lopiano, um, you know, wading into this, where you have an athlete who's transitioned post-puberty, like Leah has, mm-hmm. Leah Thomas has, and the concern from some being that the effects of testosterone can't be mitigated post-puberty and that then constitutes an unfair advantage. Where mm. do you, wh- what is your reaction to that? Cause that's an interesting one for a lot of female athletes, I'm sure. Cis yeah. female athletes. Oh God. I think one is like, I try not to get in these um, like testosterone, biologic, biology conversations with people. Cause it reminds me very much of like the, fundamentalist Christians of like, I'm going to get in the weeds with you about the Bible and fight this verse for that verse Romans versus this. Um, so that's one is I usually don't get into those arguments with people. Um, but what I will say is that like sports has a lot of unfair advantages. And I think the hard part is until we, and I'm never an advocate for gender testing people because it's terrible. And it's like eugenics type shit is it's like, we don't actually know what people's like ranges are for performance right we have these like average ranges and particularly for like women get put in like a very small range for testosterone whereas like men have this ginormous huge range and we know like Pastor Semeny was born and is a woman identifies as a woman is not a trans person was born with internal testes like that's our gift right like people are born Mm -hmm. with gifts and I think that's what gets lost particularly in sports and it's this idea of like what body gets policed and what bodies Mm -hmm. don't get policed and that's where we have to throw race into the category because we know traditionally like black bodies get policed in a very different way than white bodies do in sport. And so you have this inner mesh of like some really nuanced conversations that we should be having and yeah. even very nuanced, like, or hateful, deep rooted, deep seated um, biases and myths and beliefs that you're trying to come back with mm-hmm. like a trans person now participating in sport so there's, it's, it's really difficult. And I, that's where I feel for a lot of folks who are performing, but it's the same reason why um, we, and this is, again, I'm never happy for gender testing, but it's the same reason why when Katie Ledecky swam pool lengths ahead of people, right? She's this white, blonde hair, pixie, shortcut chick. And no one was like, why are we gender testing Katie Ledecky, right? Mm-hmm. why are people not asking that question? And they're not asking, they shouldn't be, but they're not asking because she's like white. And so she's automatically seen as more like feminine and more less threatening. But like Cassius Semenya runs, has never doped in her life, has never like, you know, broken a rule. And all of a sudden, because she's this black woman who we view people with black skin as more threatening, more masculine automatically, even though they're women. And so you have those dynamics at play where like the types of bodies you police, um, I think it's really fascinating. And I think there's not enough nuanced conversation around um, testosterone and how we measure or range people, because yeah. you can't tell me in the W if you look across the board and say, I don't want everyone to be gender tested. Right. But if we blind tested everybody, like, how would you know, like who has a range that's a lot bigger? Like I'm five nine. 
side. So, you know, these people have more talent, more, you know, like there's people yeah. have a lot of competitive advantages over me. Like, why are we point, not? Though. Concerned unf- about yeah, with the the yeah. Com- like Michael Phelps's wingspan was abnormally large, and that and he, is yeah. He processed the lactic acid, and we celebrated that. And in yeah. the same mm-hmm. breath, we told Caster Semenya like, "You need to get back your medals, and you can't compete until you do X, Y, and Z." Yeah. So we acknowledge publicly that he has this gift, right? This talent. Mm-hmm. Just like he freaking processes lactic acid, like you can't. If you could buy that, it would be like worth a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of people and... try to dope that, but <laughs> you can buy that. <laughs> yeah, like naturally and pass the test with it. Right. So I think that's the, and it's a lot of the hatred for trans people. And I think I asked the particular question of like, if you don't have a problem with trans people and don't think, and you think they should exist and have all the rights of, you know, American citizens to just be, you know, black people, a lot of people don't have those, but like they should just be able to live and move through the world freely and participate in sports. And like, why are we asking the questions of like how to get more creative because our sports exist in a binary and just say like, all right, I mean, this is how they've existed. So like, where do we put these people? Like, how do we, Yeah. but we're not, that's not the real problem. Isn't the, Oh, the test run. It's that it's, it's an, easy thing to jump to are those myths right those those deep-seated biases to say well this is why this can't possibly happen you're like men are not taking over women's sports like joanna man's a terrible movie that i used to think was funny when i was young i had no idea and like now i realize it's a terrible and because being trans is not easy like no one signs up to do this for fun like Mm -hmm. let me know when you find someone who's just like oh cool i'm gonna go sign up to be going through gender testing, through these blockers, through all of these loops and hoops and barriers and hatred and Twitter trolls just to be like, being a part of this. Like, no, that's what really hurts and breaks my heart. It's just the like, we we could be more creative than this and if we really cared, but I don't think the people who are complaining, they don't really care about women's sports. Oh, I'm sorry to be so heavy with that, but that was fantastic. I promise laughter. And now I'm getting heavy. Okay. I do. Yeah, sorry. I then. do want to go back to freedom. Mm, okay. If there is someone listening right now who is searching for a feeling of freedom in their life, what what would you advise and or what does it, what does it feel like? Because mm. you've gone through a journey to find that freedom for yourself. Yeah. Do you mean with gender identity or generally? Maybe generally. Yeah. Either, both, all of it. Ooh, I would say like freedom always starts within is something I think I've really learned. Like I have the habit of trying to look outward to solve the problem or to make myself feel better or to do the thing. But the freedom I have found has always, always, always come back to myself first and foremost. And that internal like struggle I've had and, and loving myself and accepting myself fully. And that's where the freedom has come from uh, because outside like sources and things they just won't do it and I think it's very enticing and alluring and attempting to do it like when I all the reasons I told myself like I couldn't be trans because I play in the WNBA until it was like I really got real with myself of like this is who I am and I was at the point where like I was willing to lose the sport if I had to because it was like if the WNBA doesn't accept me like as a lead, not the people, but like, if, if I don't fit in it anymore, then like, it's not for me anymore mm-hmm. because this is who I am. And I have to like, love myself enough. So that started mm-hmm. 
right, from within, not me saying, like, does the W have a policy? And then I'll come out, you know, if they do, because if not, I was doing that at first a lot. And it was like a lot of back and forth. And so it was till I kind of surrendered to like, like, what's not mine is not meant for me anymore. Then I think that is where I really kind of tapped into the gold. Ooh, tapped into the gold. I like mm. that. Does it feel like gold? It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like this, um, it's kind of like gold or a light or a magic or a, you know, it's like your secret sauce. It's like the thing that makes you grounded in life, right? That you can't get from other people that you could only find from within. And I think we're all capable of having it, but it's really hard. There's a lot of external noise. Like, I don't even mean to be the old person. It's like social media, you know, this and that and TV, but it's like, with whatever time period you were in, right, there's going to be things we face some unique challenges with technology these days, um, particularly in, in the social justice movement, but it's, it's always coming back internally. And I think that's where your freedom will always live because you're always going to disappoint someone. You're never going to please everybody. Uh, someone's always going to have something to say, but you have to be able to like go to sleep at night and know that like I'm doing what's right for me. And I can sleep peacefully and I can do this. Even if I disappoint my wife, right? Like even the people you love like the most and the closest, like even if I disappoint my child, you know, like I'm going to love them and provide and do all the things, but like I might disappoint them one day because of like that choosing yourself, but not in the negative connotation that we put it in. Like when we choose ourselves, other people actually get freed from that, right? Because like we're meeting our own needs and we can show up better for the people around us. I think that's the kind of, we have it backwards when we don't look inside first. Preach. You should be a preacher. <laughs> Give me a pulpit. Give her a pulpit. <laughs> All right, Lay. Are you ready for the Lynn game? It is officially game time. Leish, what do you have as your noisemaker? Do, do, a stick, a paint stick. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm at a disadvantage here. This is unfair advantage. Yeah, we have we have paint sticks and Julie. What have you got? <laughs> the Vuvuzela. Vuvuzela, back have in I the house. I learned how to say that. Here's the game. Every game has a theme. Today's theme is all about the dub. All of these questions are about the WNBA. Oh God! Oh come on! That is not fair. Oh my God! I feel so much pressure. I feel pressure. <gasps> Best of five wins. Lynn, Are they about my s- era? I hope they're at least my era. You know, they're I don't not worry. like you, Lynn. <laughs> Question one: Where did Candace Parker go to college? Leish. Oh, I couldn't get my. Oh, that's a softball, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I knew Question two. That was too easy. What year did the WNBA start? Oh. Oh. Julie. 1996. Incorrect. Oh, come on. Lacia, I can get That was a trick options. question. That was a trick question, so that was tough. Oh, was Here we it? go. Is it A, 1997? Yes. Oh, do you, do you not even need the options? 97. Correct. Because it was oh, come started on, in 96, you... but they didn't play it in 97, so that was, that was a trickster. Uh, I feel like, it was a feel like that right? is un... Fair again. Question three. Who was the first WNBA player to have her own shoe? Is it A, Cheryl Swoop? Yes. Leish. 
It was Cheryl. Correct. Okay. Woo, I feel so much pressure. <laughs> 3-0. I got swept. Oh, okay. Most pressing questions, Lay. What book did you last read? Oh, I just finished a book, but my brain is like, uh, let me think. It was Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be by, got to look up the author. It was really good, but I'm, my brain, I'm not good at this stuff. That's just a good title. Quick retention. Jen, I don't want to misspeak on her name, but it was about pop culture and like her life and desire. It was really good. What was the title again? Sometimes I Trip on How Happy We Could Be. Oh, wow. Nicole Perkins. Yes. I was going to say something. Yeah, Nicole Perkins. It was a good book. Cool. A bunch of short essays. Good? Yeah, really good. Nice. Okay. Going to add that to the list. All right. I know you love to cook, Lay. So I'm coming over for dinner. Thanks for inviting me. And what's your go-to meal to impress me? I was like, impress you. I was like, to get through the week, it's a frozen <laughs> pizza. <laughs> Dinner, you can't give me frozen pizza. Oh, uh, bow, 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 bow. ooh, ooh, what is it? Winter time because I make a mean chili. Oh, yeah, true. Mm. That's that's very important. Yes, it's winter time because it's winter time all the time. I feel like in Minnesota, yeah, no, that's not true. I'm just kidding. Minnesota, no, just joking. Minnesota. I'm just joking. It's uh, I make a really good chili in the winter and a really good ramen. Oh, both of them. I love both of those, so yes. I'll take both. Thank you. Yes. Um, okay, the last segment we do is something called High Low Cheer, which we do around the dinner table with my kids. Oh, um, and we do high of their day, low of their day. And the cheer is for someone who's helped you along the way, like someone you're grateful for. Oh. So, But for you, we're going to do it of your career. So high of your career, low of your career, and the cheer is for someone who's helped you along the way. Ooh. We'll start with high. Wow, 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 wow. That's a good one. Ooh, I wasn't expecting that. I was like, my day. You can steal know. it. When baby C is old enough to give a high-low yeah. cheer. I know. That's so good. Hi, my career. Woo! Bow, bow, bow. Are you going to pick one? I have to pick one? Only one? You can have a couple. I mean, I'm going to go with my own success. Like, when I was an all-star, that was amazing. So that was a goal of mine to be, to make it to be an all-star. So that was definitely the, like... I did it. I'm already a part of this league, which is only like 140 people. And now I'm like one of the best 24. And then this is a fun fact. I don't know if people know this. When I was at the All-Star game in Seattle, I was dropping dimes, you know, left and right, just like having fun playing. I passed Hubert's record. They had to put her back in the game to beat it in Seattle. (laughs) I was so pissed. Well, I didn't even know I broke it. I was just kind of like really just like having so much fun. And then she subbed back in and later I learned they were like, yeah, you like broke or tied a record and they put her back in so she could, because they weren't going to let her not have it in Seattle. So you're welcome. In too. Seattle. You're oh, welcome. the hometown advantage playing a role. The veteran Damn. move. But that was, Damn. that was definitely a high to play with all those people. The low, you go injury or the New York debacle. Mmm, mm, that's a good one. I'm going to go. My injury was one of the lows. It was the first time I was injured, like besides, you know, long-term injury, the ankle sprain or concussion was in 2019, I played in the Connecticut sun and I uh, dislocated my perineal tendons, you know, once to keep your ankle, you know, working, flexing. Uh-huh. 
those outside ones that wrap up a bone. Yep. In practice of all the places. I, and I dislocated them and the, the retinaculum is the tissue that like holds them in place. I, that kind of came off. Um, and that was the year we had a really good team. It was the building of that Connecticut team. That's really good now. So I had John Cole Jones, Jess Thomas, Alyssa Thomas. Um, and we went to the finals and lost in five games. So that was the, the low in terms of being injured and watching my team go that far. And like how integral the piece I was and like, you know, all those yeah. what it could have should have if mm-hmm. I was playing or not. Mm-hmm. That was like the just I finally made it back to the finals because I had made it in 2015 with Indiana. We lost to Minnesota. That's Maya Moore's epic shot. That's like yeah. her picture was against us. And then I make it back and then I'm sitting on the sideline just well, you're oh. gonna make it back this year with the links. Send Sylvia Let's out go. on a high. Gotta yeah. get her one. And then my cheer, I'm going to go real old school with Lynn Dunn. You know Lynn Dunn? Yeah. She's got a thick accent. I like love her. She's the interim GM at um, Indiana right now. She is someone who... Yeah, with, with Tamika leaving that job, she she came in, mm-hmm. right? I saw yep. that. So Lynn Dunn was the coach, the person who drafted me to Indiana. So first, you know, gave me my first job or real shot at number nine. So they took best overall. That was me. And... The things that Lynn like instilled in me, I, I still like carry to this day. And so to have that, you know, like where you're drafted and who sets your foundation is like so important. Right. And Lynn, along with Stephanie White, but it was really Lynn and she, her people say about her, she has like a graveyard full of point guards. Like that was the saying that my coach Charmin Smith told me she used to play for her that when I was coming out of college, just like Lynn is like, she's really hard on her point guards. And I mean, I would go home and cry like all the time. Like I would just, I will go. It's like I did nothing right today. Like it's so hard. And she just she's she rides you really tough. She kind of has that old school mentality. Uh-huh. But and she also like really builds you up too. And uh-huh. she would, you know, I'd end up, I think she would move my seat or someone would move my seat on the plane. I don't know who, but I would get a few times my rookie year, I would go to get on our flight and I would get a new ticket. And I end up sitting by Linda. And so I I got to ask her one day if it was like the people, you know, like uh, Ricky hazing me, or if it was like her, I could see also by yeah, knowing wanting, she needed yeah. to connect. And so then we would talk on the flight and I'd be like, Oh my God, like, I don't want to sit by this woman. Like she was just yelling at me out of practice. You know, you want to pull away because you're just like annoyed and frustrated. And just was like, I, you make me cry all the time, but I really got to know her and I saw how much she like cared. And, um, we ended up doing a lot of pride stuff together and coming from her generation and mine, it was such a beautiful, like she cried at one of the early ones we did and basketball wise, she just instilled like the things of like two for one, like if the clock is 40 seconds, like you got to get a quick shot for, you know, like on me, on me, on me. If you have a foul to give, like, why didn't, you know, you gave up a layup, like we could have found someone like those right. things that are the foundation of being a good point guard and making you think the game like those came from Linda and coaching me my first few years and as I get you know this back half of my career I've gotten really reflective and nostalgic because you don't know at the moment what you have you just are like you know surviving as a rookie and I realize how good of a coach she was and is and how much it shapes the player I am today and how many coaches who are super hard don't understand the other side of that equation which is like getting to know this player, wrapping mm-hmm. your arm around him and, and knowing him as a human, not just as a player so that, that you can give the hard 
yeah. because they know it comes from a place of good intentions, right? Yeah. That it's, it's loving. And I'm, I, I'm doing all this because I know there's an upside to you that you haven't reached yet. Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, too, yay, too much. Yeah. Oh, God. She'll probably see this. She like tweets me on once in a while or texts me. She like watches all the things on the internet. So she's just, my wife would just crack up at her accent and yell. She would do the accent at me. Laysha, why? Why did you do that? Because I get pulled out of the game. I'm like, stop. Too close to home. (laughs) Too close to home. I'm not ready. (laughs) Oh, Laysha, you are a rock star, my friend. Thanks for sharing your journey, sharing it to everyone so that they can be equally inspired and courageous. Because as you said, freedom is contagious. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to be the book title right there. Write that book, Lasia. Write that book. Jules, based on the book title, I'm going to roll right into my takeaway. This idea of freedom is contagious. I truly hope that all of us listening to Lasia, that we do become a little more courageous to embrace our own truths and to be ourselves. Mm, So true. When you honor your true inner self, I do think good things follow. There's Mm. a freedom Mm. that comes with that, as Lasia described. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's going to be smooth. But there's a light that follows living your inner truth. And I think the importance of these conversations cannot be overstated because what they do is shine a much needed light on the humanity of these choices. And imagine a world where we just accept it and love people <laughs> for who they are. Right. As simple as that is, we'd all be in a much happier mm. place. And hopefully these conversations help us get a little closer. Yeah, I'm grateful for this conversation. Agreed completely. Questions permitted, Lynn. This edition of Questions Permitted is going to be a Lynn takeover. (laughs) Because you were at the White House last week. Oh, yes, I was. Can we talk about this, please? I have a massive deal. (laughs) In case you forgot. For those of you in the Dope Village who did not know why you were there, can you tell everyone why you were there? Um, So it was Equal Pay Day on March 15th, I believe is the date. And uh, I got a note from uh, Molly Levinson, who's the PA for, or sorry, the spokesperson for the Women's Players Association, U.S. Women's National Team. And she's like, do you want to come to the White House? And I was like, "Um, yes. (laughs) And so... They were, of course, celebrating uh, the recent news about the Equal Pay uh, Settlement, which in fine print, to be clear, isn't completely done, but this is going to help everyone get over that that finish line, and I'm hopeful. Uh, They're still negotiating the collective bargaining agreement of that, but side note. So, um, yeah, so they had a really cool event at the White House, uh, also celebrating Women's History Month, and uh, Madam Vice President, how cool is it to say that, uh, Kamala Harris did a panel with myself and Brian Scurry, Cindy Parlocone, uh, Kelly O'Hara, and Midge Purse. 
So we had this really cool intergenerational moment, which was super fun with the vice president. And she was amazing. And then Mm -hmm. on top of that, we got to um, meet President Biden and Dr. Jill Biden Mm -hmm. and do an event with the president and first lady as well during the evening and Mm -hmm. sit with a bunch of all these rad women who are now Congress members. Um, And literally Kelly turned to me at one point. She goes, this is amazing. I feel like we're at a bachelorette party right now. And we're in the White House. Because literally, you know, when they do that entrance for the president, where they're mm-hmm. like, please welcome the president of the United States. And they play the music. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Joe Biden walks walks in with him. And instead of it being like a really formal clap, like you see in most movies, everyone was like, woo, yes, woo, Like, who It's like... Oh gosh. See, if women run, if women just ran the world, that's how everything would be. This big old celebration. What was your favorite moment from the day? Oh, favorite moment was we got 10 minutes with the vice president Mm. before we went on stage with her, Mm -hmm. uh, with just the five of us and, and vice president uh, Harris and, she was just amazing in terms of her perspective on so much of this and the work that she's put in Mm -hmm. as uh, a pioneer and trailblazer in this space for so long. And to hear her in those moments talk about it, she, you know, she said her mother used to tell her all the time that, you know, be proud that you're the first, but make sure you're not the last. Mm. And essentially this whole turn and pull as we talk about a lot on our podcast land and uh, in life and, mm-hmm. um, and just how, you know, breaking glass ceilings also means you get cut. People don't talk about that a lot and how much work it is and uh, how much she appreciated the work we'd put in and how much it helps the next generations and all that. She was just, we just, we just kept going, oh my gosh. Oh my, yes, yes. <laughs> so wise. So wise. What did it mean? It was great. What did what did it mean for you to be there, given the decades of work and the fight that you have had when it comes to the national team and women's rights? Um. Well, one, you're you're in the White House, which in itself, that experience, you should never turn down if anyone ever invites you to the White House, because, and I almost did this time around. Um, and I'm so happy I didn't because uh, it's just you're in you're a part of history in such a special way. And that place is just, you know, the history within its walls is incredible and you feel it as soon as you walk into there. Um, but then to be standing alongside, uh, you know, Cindy and Bri, who we fought together from, you know, the 90s for this. And then on top, and in addition to that, Kelly and Midge who are the new generation continuing that fight. And what we talked about with the vice president was um, how proud we were of them taking it over the line, how Mm. this was a fight we started, but that it continued. And our wish has always been that the next generation continues and fights and has the courage to keep rattling the cage. And it's, and you know, her response, the vice president was, and you know what, it it never ends, honestly, (laughs) like you have to be, Mm. You have to be cognizant and aware and making sure that you're you're constantly fighting because the status quo will come back and try mm. and set things back. And yeah. 
Um, so just to be in that moment with this current group who have done so much as well was really cool. That intergenerational, as I said, moment. It was really fun. And did you meet the president's dog? <laughs> we did. Commander. <laughs> Commander. We were hanging out with Commander. Commander had a friend in town, which we never quite got the name of the other dog. Okay. <laughs> but these... All of a sudden, we're like, that looks like Commander. And the Secret Service guy was like, because we were hanging out by the... I guess where Commander was playing was the First Lady's lawn. It's by the South Lawn. It's it's the you know in the front of the White House. Okay. <laughs> and we were kind of waiting there, doing some little uh, media hits there, and uh, Commander was outside running, running, running with his other dog. And it turns out it was one of the grandkids' dogs. Was what the Secret Service told us, but we didn't have a name. We didn't have a kind of dog it was. Mm. So we happened to mention that to to the president that because. The topic of Commander came up when we were talking with him. He's like, did you meet Commander? He was all excited. Did you meet Commander? We were like, yeah, we met him. <laughs> she, she's like, can you believe he's only six months? He's huge. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And apparently one of your grandkids had a dog here. And then he got all excited. He was like, Jill, is, and he names one of the grandkids. Are they here? Are they here today? <laughs> she's like, no, honey, they're not here today. Just the dog. <laughs> It's like, you know, the it's like a conversation you would have with your partner. And yet we're, you know, having it between the president and the first lady. Like, did I miss a grandkid today? No. <laughs> Super fun. Mm. Well, really honored to have been invited and feel blessed to have been a part of it. Yeah. You earned it. That's for sure. Mm, I don't know about that, but I did get some White House M&Ms out of it as well. I'd have taken a few boxes for the kids. Aww. So, it was fun. Very really cool. Fun. Um, all right, Lynn, your takover <laughs> is done. I could keep you taking over. Like, I really could go I on for about like another talking hour. About, but... I know. You don't I don't like talking about myself that much. No, you do not. Um, all right, and with that, another laughter permitted is in the books, baby. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who's left us a message on our Apple Podcast page. We read them all and are so very grateful for your kind words. And while we're on thank yous, a big thank you to our sponsors, Ally and Dick's Sporting Goods, and to Kate Diaz for our theme music. And remember, kids, as always, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. This is who I am and I have to like love myself enough.